In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 3, our scripture today is, consider him, consider him, that's Jesus, consider him who endured such opposition, such opposition from sinful men, so that you might not grow weary and lose heart. Today, we're going to consider the Lord Jesus. Even as, we're as we continue our study in the book of Nehemiah, uh, we've been looking at uh, how God called Nehemiah out to rebuild the wall. But before we look there, I, I want us not to get too far away from thinking about all that Jesus went through, all that Jesus suffered. You see, when we consider the cross, so often we go very quickly to, yes, he died on the cross, he paid for our sins, and that only through faith in him. And it isn't only through faith in him. Do you receive forgiveness, that relationship with God and the promise of eternal life? We have a lot to be thankful for. But we don't want to rush, rush to the victory, rush to the benefit that we receive without taking, as the writer of Hebrews says, time to consider him who endured such opposition. We quickly move past the ridicule that Jesus endured. You know, the people who mocked him. Oh, hail, King of the Jews, when he very much was King of the universe. The people who said, he saved others, why can't he save himself? When he was acting on our behalf to save us. The one who <laughs> was mocked Oh, I think I would have lost it. But he endured the ridicule. He ignored it for the sake of his goal. The honoring of Father and the redemption of humanity. The attacks he suffered. I, I can't imagine what it was to be beaten by the soldiers. To have the crown of thorns pressed upon his brow. To be forced to carry his own cross. To, to endure the, the, the nails plowed into his his hands and his feet, the attacks he suffered. There had to be a moment, there had to be a moment where Jesus was tempted to say, I've just been enough. I've been on the cross long enough. I, I, I'm done. I, I know it's not finished, but I will, I'm finished. I'm through. The exhaustion he endured as he had to push up on the nail in his feet just to grasp a breath. We move too quickly and fail to consider the exhaustion that he endured for our benefit, for our salvation. And finally, the, the distractions the distractions uh, that, 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 that came. The, the, the people who said, you know, come on down, come on down. Then we'll believe in you. I, I think I would have wanted to go ahead and answer that by coming down off the cross. But he ignored. He even had to ignore, to at least deal with very quickly the distraction of even his family and the suffering of his disciples and even his mother. John, here's your mother. Take care of her. I, 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 I think of all the distractions right now, even during COVID, and how, how I long to like just to be able to help your family, to be there close. Je Jesus is our model here. He endured all of these things. As we think about the Lord Jesus today and, and the suffering on the cross, as we remember, as we go through this Lord's Supper uh, service Let's remember that Jesus himself told us in Luke 14 
that whoever does not deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, can't be my disciple. We're called not just to the glory. We're called not just to the praise, though we're called to bring praise at all times. We are called also to the cross, to this endurance, to this actually difficult days, to this time of sometimes even suffering in our lives. We are called to it as disciples of Jesus Christ. We endure these things to bring glory uh, to the Father and to bring salvation to the world. Jesus died for sins, but he's given us that message of salvation. We also take up the cross and follow. Jesus also said in, in Luke 14, suppose if one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? To see if you have enough money to complete it. That you've got what it takes to finish. Today, I'm asking you to actually consider um, not just what Jesus has done, but in considering God's call on our lives, I, I don't want you to forget. I don't want me to forget. I don't want us to forget to count the cost, especially the cost of opposition. Especially the cost of opposition. Opposition in our lives can come from the same sources that Jesus saw them, right? Ridicule from others, attacks uh, from, uh, towards the work or exhaustion from the work and attacks from the enemy, and finally the distractions of the world. You know, as disciples uh, of Jesus, I, I think this is the place that we often uh, forget. We're often excited, especially when we read a story like Nehemiah, where just in a short amount of time he was able to rebuild the wall, how he was able to rally the people to the cause, how God moved in their midst, and there was excitement and there was joy. But I think we forget to look at the opposition that he had to endure, the difficulties that he had to face. So this morning, we're going to look uh, together at Nehemiah chapter 4 and a little bit in chapter 6 at just some of the things that he endured. Uh, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, uh, of Nehemiah, it says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed, he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? I mean, they're not going to get this done. This isn't going to happen. There's no way. There's no way. Moving on, it says, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring those stones back to life? You just hear the jeering. I mean, it's even poetic. Can they get it done? Will it make a difference? Will they finish? How long is it going to take them? Can you bring dead bones, dead walls, dead stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Sanballat wasn't alone. Verse 3, uh, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, says, What are they building? <laughs> Even if a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their walls of stone. This is a time when as a church, you are doing a lot of prayer, seeking the Lord and considering where is God leading you? Where is God calling you? What are those next steps? There will be those that will say, oh, what's going on here? 
Can, can you ever get it back? Can you ever restore? We receive that ridicule outside of the Christian community all the time. Can the world really be changed? Can these, these Christians really uh, change anything in society? Can they bring about this kingdom of God? Can they bring about this message of salvation to the world? I mean, there are literally billions who don't know about Jesus today. How are we going to get that work done? How are we going to accomplish this? I mean, they're just, they're just, I mean, oh, yay. We might have how many missionaries? We have some today. Oh, uh, start some new Southern Baptist goals. Hey, can we get up to 5,000? Wouldn't that be, be great? There's billions of people. What are 5,000 going to do? I mean, come on. Really? How do we respond to the ridicule? How do we respond to this kind of opposition? Well, I think first we need to remember uh, God's presence through prayer. That's what Nehemiah does. He doesn't quickly turn and say, gosh, I need some other people to encourage me. Where are my encouragers? See, that's what I do. I need someone to tell me it's okay and it's going to be all right. I usually rely on my wife. That's not always so good of us, right? Um, but, I mean, my wife, she's sweet. She's not, encouragement's not her spiritual gift. And so, and so sometimes we, 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 we try to rely on somebody else and, and we want it. From, we need to go straight to the Lord. This is what Nehemiah does. He says, help us, God. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. He goes on to say, turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. I think Nehemiah was just being honest here. He was sort of praying that God would just sort of zap them, you know, take care of them, God. That's not our calling, right? Um, in fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not pray that God would zap them, but pray that God would change their hearts. Pray that God would move. We are called in the midst of ridicule when people are making fun of, when all the naysayers surround us. We need to go back to the Lord because He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. It's Him and Him alone that's going to make this happen and make it work. He alone brings dead stones and dead bones and dead people back to life. We need to go to the Lord and His presence and pray for those who might be ridiculing, that God would work in their hearts, that God would open their eyes to faith, that God would help them see his calling among them. It's been interesting that every time the Lord has really, I feel like, sincerely called me to something, there have been those voices that have said, no, no, it's not going to work. How are you going to have a college ministry on every campus? That's never sustainable. I always love the people that say it's not sustainable. Says who? <laughs> it's not sustainable for you. It's not sustainable for the money we've got. It's not sustainable for the people we've got. But the resources, remember, we live this, are out there. In the lost world, as people come to Jesus, God can make this happen. It's God's power. It's his kingdom. It's his calling. Let's pray in his presence. And let's pray for those who might ridicule. Well, moving on today. Opposition comes from a lot of sources. It's not just those who ridicule, but it's literally attacks from the enemy. Literal attacks. Now, we, we kinda, I, I kind of live in a world where I feel like I'm pretty free from the fear of being actually attacked. But a few times in my life, I've actually seen people kind of do what happened to Nehemiah. Sanballat, they're so angry. Tobiah, he's so angry. What do these guys do? It says Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod, all of the ones. It's a surrounding. You've got uh, Sanballat up north, um, down to the southeast. You've got the Philistines. You've got the Ammonites over there on the east. They're surrounded. 
it says, when they heard that repairs to the Jerusalem wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were angry. So verse 8, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to stir up trouble against it. Wait, really? Yeah. I mean, it was aggressive. They plotted. They fought. The plan was to fight and to stir up trouble. This is what happens. When the Lord is moving, there will be, you know, the whispers in the back room, the plotting together. The, hey, how can we not make this happen? Hey, how can, what can we do here? The plan to actually oppose God's people or just to, we can just stir up enough trouble right? Stir up enough trouble. That, 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 that'll slow everything down. That'll bring everything to a halt. Opposition comes. Well, how do you respond to that kind of opposition when actually there are attacks of the enemy? Well, I would say the first thing you do, need to do is know your enemy. I mean, Nehemiah names them. Sanballat, Tobiah, specific people. The Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod, they were very angry. Now, who were these guys? Well, Sanballat and Tobiah were actually other Persian-like, sort of like sub-governors of the region. They were sort of in some ways equal with Nehemiah in their region. Uh, I, I loved how Sanballat actually gets his whole army from Samaria, if he's from Samaria. There's some debate on whether Sanballat is from the east or from up north. Uh, but I think he's from up north with Samaria because he had the whole army there. So Sanballat... Uh, got his army together. I mean, they're all kind of making fun. They've got, they're plotting. They're thinking, what are we going to do? You need to know your enemies. These are people that had a vested interest in the fact that things would not change, that things would go down, that the status quo would remain. They had a, a financial interest. They had familial connections. They had all kind of interests there in Jerusalem, and they didn't want to follow the Lord. Now, I'm sure they didn't phrase it that way. Oh, we don't want to follow the Lord. But they weren't really happy about the changes that were coming. They weren't happy about the restoration of Jerusalem. Know your enemy? Here's the deal. It could be us. It could be us. We, and I'm talking about we, I'm talking about me. <laughs> what if I'm the one? who has sort of a vested interest in keeping the things the way I like them? What if I'm the one that has a vested interest in holding on to whatever I care most about? What if I have, instead of saying, Lord, here I am, you laid your life down as a sacrifice to us, we respond in worship as living sacrifices. That doesn't mean living the way we want to, keeping everything we want, and oh yeah, I have Jesus too. It's living sacrifices. Watch how Paul, the apostle, describes enemies of the cross of Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, For I've often told you, and I even say it now with tears. He was upset about this. He wasn't like, oh yeah, with now with anger. He was with tears. I'm so sad about this. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is Philippians chapter 3.18. I'm telling you again, with tears. But sometimes people get trapped in their own stuff. He's going to describe these enemies in the next verse, verse 19. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. What does he mean by that? Their God is their stomach. Like he's so, they're hungry. It's not just food, right? It's their own desires. Wanting their way. Wanting that more than anything else. Their stomach becomes their own desire. 
Now, I don't know what it is, but it, what, uh, your desire becomes your God. It says they, they glory in their shame and their mind is on earthly things. The first thing we got to do is know the enemy and know that the enemy could be us. Are our minds set on earthly things? Are we stuck on our own desires? Do we want it our way? Do we think our thing is best? Or are we saying, Lord, have your way. Not my will, but yours be done. How do you respond to attacks? Know your enemy, but also put up some defenses. Nehemiah did. In verse 9, it says, We prayed to our God and posted a guard. We trusted the Lord in this, and we posted a guard. How do you post a guard in the church? How do you post a guard in your spiritual life? How do you post a guard night and day to meet the threat? Well, a couple things I would do. Number one is you've got to have the right mindset. Realize that opposition is there. First Peter tells us to be alert. To be alert, he says, and of sober mind in First Peter 5.8. We need to be aware. I think we also need to actually have guards in our life. Is there somebody in your life that you're talking to? Especially as you're going through these difficult days and days of transition. And is there someone who is a brother and a believer? Not someone you're complaining to. Okay, there's a difference. Not someone you're complaining to. And not necessarily your spouse. Because sometimes we can poison our spouses um, about the work of the Lord. I'll be honest, I've, I've done that. I complain too much. And... But a brother, a sister, who keeps us focused on the Lord and on prayer and on God's plans and on God's... To remind some, some of those people that have true spiritual insight that maybe are not part of this body but are outside, that, that remind you of, of what is true and what is right and help you reflect. We need to have guards because that discouragement comes. But we also need spiritual guards from our other enemy because it's not just ourselves. The enemy is also our spiritual enemy, the devil. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same type of suffering. My brothers and sisters, during times of transition, during times where God is calling, during times where we're trying to respond to him and you're going through the 40 days of seeking the Lord, just be aware that the enemy wants to disrail, derail that process. I remember a time back in New York, I, once again, I'll always give my college ministry examples, uh, but a time in New York where we had gone, under, as a group, decided to do 40 days of seeking God. We were cutting things out. Everybody was like, put away stuff in your life, add new time in scripture and devotion. And the whole ministry, the whole church was going through this 40 days of seeking God together, just as you all are. I think it was day 15, uh, maybe day 20, somewhere right in there. We were actually studying the book of Acts, and as we read the book of Acts each day and going through those devotions each day, we came upon that time when there was chapter 15 conflict in the church, the Jerusalem council. Paul and Barnabas even had a big fight. I don't know if you remember that chapter, but it was a conflict chapter in the church. That was the weekend we were on retreat together. And we should have been such this great spiritual high for us as a group and as a church. And we were so looking forward to being in God's presence and being in the high. And the guest speaker who came, he was very famous, or son of a very famous uh, Christian leader. <clears throat> Go with the famous Christian leader, not the son of the famous Christian leader. I, just, I think that might be a side point. Um, <clears throat> as the scriptures, and he kept sharing 
were kind of interpreted kind of oddly, and then he really wasn't using them all that much. And then by the time the third message came around, he was just flat out telling people stuff that was false. I mean, it was just heresy. And he, he prefaced like, well, you know, I live in the inner city and it'll mess up your thought, theology, so let me tell you my messed up theology, but don't believe it. I'm thinking, yeah, but you're preaching it. I, oh, I was mad. Woo! I was like Tobiah and Sandballot, man. I was, okay, because I think I was the good guy that time and he was the bad. I don't know. Anyway, I was mad. I was angry. Oh, I was so angry. And our whole group was just in an uproar. Well, somebody brought up in one of our group meetings, like, well, you know, they were going through conflict in the early church too. I was like, yeah. And one of the girls who was one of the leaders in the group said, you know, I always trusted what Pastor Mike says because he says what my home pastor said. But, you know, I don't even know. This other guy says something different. I need to know the scripture better so I can know the truth. That's a victory. <laughs> That's a victory, right? I need to know the scripture so I can know whether you're telling me the truth. Yes, we've got to walk with the Lord. We've got to pay attention. It was an attack of the enemy that could have broken the group up. But instead, God, because we stayed close to him, used it for victory in our lives. Be ready for extra temptation. Those places you're weak, it's coming. It's coming. In the middle of seeking God, you think it's the best time in your life? Get ready for the attacks of the enemy. Why? Revelation 12, 12 says, Look, woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Victory belongs to our Lord and Savior Jesus. Victory belongs to his people. Victory is ours. There is ultimately the good. But Satan is out to destroy as much as he can for as long as he can. And don't think that doesn't include you. But in our Savior Jesus, we have victory. We need to trust and we need to be prepared. Well, this probably doesn't surprise any of you. The extra work brings exhaustion, and that exhaustion is an opposition in our lives, right? That kind of runs us down. That kind of brings us to that a point of despair. In fact, Nehemiah saw it. Uh, verse 10, Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, uh, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They were making progress. There were some good signs. And then they wanted to quit because, okay, you know, that, and that, was a, that was a good idea. It was a good effort, guys. Let's, let's, let's all, I probably shouldn't write in the microphone. <laughs> good effort, guys. But, you know, it's just probably going to be a little too hard. We're not going to win this one. Are you kidding? They were tired. They just wanted to quit. Exhaustion makes the problem seem bigger than they actually are. They were making progress. They were making headway. It was going to take a little bit more time, but they were just tired. It made them feel like these threats from the enemy, they were going to get killed. Uh, verse 11, our enemies said before they know it, we'll be right there among them. We'll kill them, put an end to all the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, hey, they're going to attack you. Wherever you turn, they're going to attack you. That's what they're saying. They're going to attack you. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. The exhaustion made these problems seem impossible. You know what I love about Nehemiah? That guy was smart. God was leading him. You know how he responded to exhaustion of his people? Did he work them harder? No. How do you respond to exhaustion and opposition that comes through it? Slow down. Get creative. Maybe work smarter, not harder. Maybe stretch out the work a little bit. It'll be okay. Look what Nehemiah does in verse 13. So I stationed some of them 
some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and, I, and the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. Okay, there's some weak spots. Okay, you're right. Let's, make, let's put some soldiers there. Let's take some of you guys off wall building duty and we're going to shift you to guard duty. In fact, he says, let's, let's post you close to your families. A little extra motivation, right? I mean, I'm definitely fighting for my families. I'm definitely going to keep them alive. He got creative. He says in verse 14, Then I looked things over and I stood up to the nobles. I said, don't be afraid of them. He gave them that encouraging word. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember the Lord. We've got to continue to encourage one another during those times. When we're exhausted, we got to, whichever one of us is up, we got to help everybody else stay up. We need to encourage one another and fight for our families, fight for what God is calling us to. We also got really creative too at verse 16. And from that day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. He does a lot of other creative things, and you can finish out the chapter on your own, but I find this one fascinating. What did he do? He split the workforce in half. Half of us on guard duty, half of us are going to be building the wall. What did that do? It accomplished two things. One, we got some rest, because guard duty was probably easier than wall building duty. You, got, you still got to stand there. You still got to wear your armor. You still got to be ready to go. But maybe you can just kind of like chill a little bit while you're hanging out, waiting for, right? Guard duty was probably a little bit easier than wall building. So the people got rest. Some of the people were resting while the other people were working. It probably slowed down the work. But they made sure they had their Sabbath time. They made sure they had their rest time. They made sure that they were replenished and encouraged and felt safe and secure from both the presence of God and the planning of the people. Finally, distractions of the world are going to come. They just always do. Because so often we get distracted from the work. Sandballad's back and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. Uh, and they were scheming to harm me. It's definitely the plains of Ono. Like, oh no, don't, don't get distracted, I'm thinking. Don't, 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 don't get distracted here. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that one. The plains of Ono are, are definitely a no-no. Um, okay, I worked on that. Maybe, maybe that one didn't come off as good as I thought. But um, the plains of Ono, you know, stay away from that. How do you stay away from distractions? You've got to stay on target. You've got to stay on target. He said, so I sent messengers to them and said, look, I'm carrying out a great project. This isn't small. This has the ability to affect people for decades and generations to come. When we're doing the Lord's work, it's not just some extra project, you know, some group thing, a, a, a small choir group or, or some kind of a nature beautification project. This is the idea that we're doing something that is for eternity, not just in building the church, but in building his people. Why should I stop the work? Kept coming, verse 4. Four times they sent the same message in, I, in Nehemiah chapter 6. Four times they sent me the same message. But each time, I gave them the same answer. When it comes to distractions, we just need to cut them off. In Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. And in John 15, 
That famous passage about Jesus being the vine and we're just the branches, we need his power. It says in verse 2 that the Lord cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, the fruitful ones, he prunes so it might be even more fruitful. Are there things in your life right now that they aren't refreshing you, they're not replenishing you, they're just draining you and keeping you from the focus on the work that God has called you to do? Keeping you from that time in his presence, keeping you from that time in his word, keeping you from the time and, and, and work that God has got for you to do. There's a lot in this passage. There's a lot in this message. But the one is true. As we face opposition, we need to focus our efforts on the high calling of God. That he has given us a message. He has made us ambassadors of reconciliation. That God himself was reconciling the world to himself. And now he's given us that ministry. Let's not get distracted by civilian affairs. Let's not get distracted to the plains of Ono. Let's be ready for the attacks. Let's be ready uh, for the ridicule. Let's prepare our hearts. And let's put in those things that help us and help one another as we move forward. As I think about this invitation, this invitation uh, to the work of God, I need to realize, and you might need to realize, that not all of us are part of this team. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, forgive me, I, I heard it today. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose again in victory and you've promised eternal life. I want that forgiveness. I want that relationship with God. If you've never given your life to Jesus, would today be your day that you just say, yes, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. If that's you today, you pray. Just doesn't matter the words. Reach out to Jesus and say, help me, save me. I'm yours. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today and how it does encourage us. Thank you that you were our model, that you endured such opposition from sinful men. Help us be those who take up our cross and follow you daily. We remember your sacrifice. We remember your love. And we remember your promise to be with us always even to the end of the age. So we pray all of these things for your glory, Lord Jesus, and in your name. Amen.